This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 43. What would you do if you were never afraid? Me, I have no idea because I live my whole life with Fia right by my side. She shows up whenever I hit publish, whenever I try anything new and just most days when I need to get out of bed in the morning. It's easy to feel like we're the only person in the world living with that. But this week's guest, Kate Swoboda, has made it her whole life's work to study how we can live alongside our fear and what habits we need to form to enable us to keep living courageously and making all of our biggest dreams come true. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So for anyone who's not met you yet, I always ask if you could just give us a bit of an introduction to your work. Happy to. Um, so Kate Swoboda, also sometimes known around the interweb as, as Kate Courageous. And I am the creator of YourCourageousLife.com and the director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at TribeCLCC.com and the author of the forthcoming book, like a real book with an ISBN. I can't (laughs) believe it. I'm really, really excited. My first book, it's The Courage Habit. Um, When will that be out? Officially May 1st of 2018, although it's currently open for pre-order, but I'm, you know... I'm still currently, at, you know, this this interview is fresh enough that I'm still waiting for my official, official first copy that's not a galley. And I'm very excited. So exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So how did you come to this point where courage is your specialism? What What's your background? Well, so so this this is kind of interesting for a you know, an audience that's really focused on creativity. When I first became a life coach, I thought that I was going to be a creativity coach. Mm. (laughs) And I I thought, and and I was like, you know, because creativity is my jam. I'm a writer. I've always had my hands in various types of creativity. When I was younger, I was a musician. And I thought that that would be just so great to talk to people about the creative process and help people to get accountable around really making sure they make time for their art or their self-expression every day. And what surprised me (laughs) was that I would get onto calls and I would be trying to do this work of helping people to be creative and accountable to, you know, really being productive about the work. And I, I really had far less interest in that and far more fascination with how people get afraid. I was like, oh my gosh, all these different ways that, that fear comes up or fear stops people. And we can call fear all kinds of different things, right? We can call it self-doubt or we can call it anxiety or, you know, but it's, it's Mm. basically all in that container of feeling afraid. And that stops you from doing something that you know is really, really important to you. So I I just began talking to people more about the fear. And then of course it was like, oh, okay. And of course, if you're going to talk about fear, you got to talk about courage. So I love that, that it was kind of a really organic process. It's not something you set out to be passionate about it just consumed you. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's the thing I really wanted to dig into because and I I have to confess I find my own experiences of fear. I'm not into the fearless thing. I don't think that exists. I don't think anybody is fearless. Um I think, 
that people feel afraid and work through their fear. You can fear comma less, but you can't be fearless. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, you know, to me, it's all about how do we practice courage? And I find it really fascinating, all the different ways that people experience fear, that I experience my own fear, because of course, fear still comes up for me as well. And I just, and, and I'm, I'm like, really passionate about the moment when somebody realizes like, oh, this is just fear. I can actually still have this thing I want in life if I'm willing to be with the discomfort of being afraid. Right. Because a lot of the time, I don't know if you, I'm sure you do find this, that actually people don't necessarily realize that what they're feeling is fear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because fear can be very persuasive. It can, it can seem like reasonable fact, or it can seem like laziness, or it can, it can seem like so many different types of behavior. Mm -hmm. And there are all these like uber, speaking of laziness, there are all these like uber masculine, I think they're very like stereotypically masculine memes about like, you know, if you aren't taking action in the name of your dream, (laughs) you don't want it badly enough. And I got to tell you, like, I've, I've been a coach for more than a decade. I have talked to people in real workshops, webinars, classrooms, events, teleseminars, telesummits, on and on and on. And and like that is just so patently untrue, this idea that if you aren't taking action due to your fear, you must not want it badly enough. There's like a kernel of truth in there in the sense that obviously, you know, like if you really want something, but you're afraid, part of your process, if you want it badly enough, is going to be looking at why you're afraid. But there's this idea that it should just be as simple and lockstep in those those memes as you know, just like, just do it anyway. And it's it's like, well, yeah, you got to take action, but it's a lot more nuanced than that. And sometimes when people are, you know, whatever they're calling it, if they're calling it laziness or they're calling it something else, sometimes people just really need to be in that process of finding their way through. And that's far more valuable than like white knuckling and gritting your teeth and taking action, but not actually doing that investigation as to like, what's going on here that, that I'm filled with self-doubt Every time I confront the blank canvas, what's going on here that it feels like the biggest deal in the world to put my photography on Instagram? What's what's this about? So how do people get to the heart of figuring out, I guess, in a coaching session with you or maybe working through your book? What are the steps we can take to figure out what's at the heart of that fear? So, you know, when I was writing The Courage Habit, I was really looking at the connection between psychological courage and emotional resilience and habit formation. And I mean, writing the book in and of itself, like profoundly changed the way I was approaching things in my life, because I was I was like, oh, there's this thing you can kind of rig in your favor around habit formation. And the research that I found, you know, I didn't invent any of this, I'm going here, among the research I've looked at, these are like the top four things you need to be doing, if you really want to get underneath how you're experiencing fear and stop habit limiting your life all the time, not eradicate it, you're not going to get rid of it. But to get to the point where it's not stopping you from doing the things that you want to do. And those four things are accessing the body, listening without attachment. So actually listening to the voice of fear, but not getting hooked or attached to what it says, reframing limiting stories, which is not positive affirmations, but it's just very pragmatic, very like, You notice that the voice of fear tells you that you suck 
And you got to go, look, I get that you're anxious about this internalized critic, you know, but (laughs) we're still going to do this anyway, is how this is going to go. And reaching out and creating community because fear really thrives in isolation and it diminishes in community. So really to answer your question about like, how can we get underneath this? You could do any one of those four things and it's most powerful when you do them all together and it's most powerful when you understand how habit formation works in the brain and make your default response to feeling fear become, okay, I'm afraid right now. I think I suck right now. I don't think I can get my online business going right now. I feel like, you know, I'm stuck in comparison. So-and-so's art is so much better than mine. So why do I even bother? Uh, Okay. I'm noticing this is coming up for me. How do I access the body? Listen without attachment, reframe limiting stories, reach out and create community like how do i go into that instead of self-sabotage or perfectionism because we've learned what we do right now to fear i guess just just as much of a habit so for me it might be i'm just gonna go and take a nap because i feel overwhelmed with Mm self-doubt for someone else it might be they throw themselves into like a different project or any of those sorts of things so as much as we've learned that habit and taught ourselves to do that again and again presumably we can teach ourselves more healthy or productive habits. Absolutely. And the way that that habit formation works in the brain is on this cue routine reward loop. So there's like a cue, which you in, in this example we're talking about could be that initial feeling of, oh, God, I suck. And so and so is so much better than I am. And then there's the routine, which is like a response that we go into after the cue. And the routine is designed to get us to the reward. So that's that feeling of like the tension going down. And people will go, well, but Kate, like I'm confused. Like if I know that, you know, going and taking a nap, to use your example, that doesn't actually help me in terms of my creative goals. Like why would that be a reward? Well, It's not a reward in the long term of your life, but in that moment when you're really feeling like you are not good enough, it's totally a reward because it (laughs) takes down it takes down that internal anxiety. It feels a lot nicer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you go into that, it feels a lot different. And you know, I really categorize I think naming things is so helpful. I mean, I just know that whenever I'm feeling really stuck in something, when someone can articulate or name Mm. what it is, even it, it it's just like, Oh, this is so nice to just like have a name, I can put it into a context. And there are four predominant things that I like fear patterns that I see people go into and they're perfectionism, self sabotage martyrdom and pessimism so like perfectionism is you know comparisonitis Mm -hmm. and you know oh I gotta work harder I gotta work harder and then you burn yourself out or it's never good enough yeah pessimism is like what's the point you know I'm just gonna go take the nap yeah you know gotta be realistic I don't have the time I don't have the money I don't have the talent I don't have the you know whatever that is gonna be that kind of wet blanket um (laughs) like womp womp I think that's me that one (laughs) (laughs) well we're all all of them I I mean I we cycle but usually there's one in particular that really hooks us right and and I you know I'm totally in the camp of perfectionism but then once I get burned out I totally go to pessimism yeah you know like once I'm burned out then I'm like womp womp I'm so tired I can't can't make it, you know, um, and that's, of course, if I'm not being conscious about my own patterns. And then self-sabotage is like the procrastination 
you know, the kind that cuts off options yeah. or talking to the absolute worst person, least supportive person <laughs> in your life by yeah. plans. And martyrdom is either putting other people or other circumstances as higher priorities right. than your own. You know, so like I, I, it's selfish of me to be an artist and it's selfish of me to go after my own dreams when, you know, so many other people need this, that or the other. Sometimes people do martyrdom with like jobs that they're having trouble letting go of. Like they feel like they have to be the model employee, even if they know they want to leave that job and go to a creative business. It's just like this compulsive feeling of like, I have to please, I have to make sure that other people are happy with me. And and once you start to notice that you go to one of those four places, the work really is, uh, all right, I'm doing that thing again where I know that I want to ditch this soul sucking job and move into being full time with my creative work. But my boss asked me to stay for a meeting and I feel like I have to say yes to that. Mm. You know, how do I let that go? Well, I got to access the body. I got to feel my actual feelings about this. Listen without attachment to that voice that, you know, tells me that I should be doing something for my boss that I know I really don't want to be doing, but I feel like I should reframe that limiting story. Nope, I actually don't need to be doing this thing for my boss. And I'm actually gonna be okay if my boss is not happy with me right now and reaching out and creating community. So that's like your creative tribe, your mastermind, your people. And I even think too, like to me, if you know, if nobody's picking up the phone when I'm, you know, needing that kind of support, it's like you go you go to your hashtag authentic podcast and you go, like, I need to hear Sarah's voice and I need to hear this this tone from this this community of people who she's interviewed of you've got this and you can do this. That's one way to reach out and create community if you absolutely don't have anyone that you can, you know, call up and go, I'm completely panicking. So true. <laughs> I can remember when I was quitting my job and I was just terrified would it would fit the hit the fear wall about it and I would go and listen to like Amy Poehler's audiobook in the car because she was just so strong and so courageous and I was like okay you know I'm fine I can do this mm -hmm. we need to like remember that we're not alone and that we're you know that other people who have who have walked the path before us are the proof that it can be done you know all the things it's it's yeah it sounds very doable <laughs> it does I imagine in practice the hard part is maybe just getting started I I find that with myself that like, it's so easy to fall back into familiar traps and forget that you're meant to be even working on it. Totally, totally. So I'll do this exercise sometimes with people and I'll do it with you if you would like. I'd love that. So, okay. All right. So everybody who's listening, do this exercise as well, unless you're driving, in which case don't do this exercise because it involves your hands. Pull over, pull over if you're <laughs> driving. You can be late for work. It's pull over. Okay. Yeah. If you have, <laughs> if you have hands that are free and, and no children who are going to die or anything like that in your immediate vicinity, try this out. Okay, so take your hands and, you know, your right hand, your left hand, and then put them together and interlock your fingers. Like just, you know, fold your hands together mm -hmm. and keep them there. And now look down. Which thumb is on top for you? The left. The left thumb. Okay. So now take your hands apart again and do the same thing where you interlock your fingers, but this time make sure you switch the thumb. So mm -hmm. whatever thumb was on top last time, make sure that the other one is on top this time. <laughs> it's a weird feeling, it right? It feels wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So this is it, right? Like I, you know, sometimes when people get really like, I should just, I feel like I should just be able to fight my fear and bust through. Like, 
you guys, we're just sitting here switching our thumbs and it feels uncomfortable. (laughs) And this is why accessing the body is so important. Like these feelings of fear that we have or self-doubt or anxiety or whatever you want to call them. Obviously, you know, we're not necessarily talking about clinical terms here. We're talking about your, your garden variety, everyday kind of you know, anxiety, worry, fear, feeling not enough, you know, these feelings that we have in our body, they're really strong and they're really real. And it takes a lot of noticing, like, instead of going, how do I get rid of this as quickly Mm -hmm. as possible? The work really becomes, okay, I'm feeling this thing that's really, really anxiety inducing, or I'm really uncomfortable right now. This isn't a reason to stop. This isn't a reason to go into my old pattern. This isn't a reason to go into perfectionism and work harder. You know, whatever your fear pattern is, this is this is the place where I got to go. Okay, how do I like access the body? Listen with that. You know, how do I go into a behavior that is going to be resilience inducing on the other side of this discomfort? It's not something we're taught, is it? Like it it feels like it should be something they, they teach us in schools. Or at some early stage, because, yeah, we, we don't learn to kind of critically assess our own thoughts and our own behaviors in that way. And it can be so helpful. Yeah, well, I mean, schools kind of use your discomfort as a, a way of keeping you in line. So right. yes. <laughs> and it, it's not to their benefit to teach people that actually everybody has a mind of their own. <laughs> and that discomfort should be challenged (laughs) that would be an interesting school but I mean it would probably form a lot of more productive balanced adults at the end of it you would hope yeah I mean you know who knows I'm the parent of a three and a half year old or three he's three and a half right now and I just you know it's it's like a really delicate balance between how do you teach a small child like you're gonna need to do what I asked you to do because I'm the adult here and I'm saying you need to do it and her not being able to make her own decisions and think for herself and that's an ongoing question that I have as a parent for sure yeah same my my little girl is five and yeah it's that constant thing of do you have agency over this where does that mm-hmm. begin? And oh, it's it's a minefield, a total minefield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, parenting in an age of awareness about the psychology of being human is yes. <laughs> it's like we're not you and I are not even going to be able to go. Well, no one talked about that when you were a kid. No one talked about no feelings. <laughs> She's going to bring up these podcasts. Just start saving for the therapy budget now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's all for. That's what all this is for, is for all this future therapy bills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give you an example of when my self-doubt comes up really loud, my fear. Okay. That might be helpful for people to kind of think about using those four principles in a practical sense. So for me, and some people listening might find this slightly amusing, I have an e-course that I launch kind of quarterly and sell a class a quarter. And every night, the night before I launch, I am convinced that this is the one that's not going to sell. So normally it sells out in an hour or two. It's it's a really popular class. But every time the night before, nah, this is the one. This is the one that no one wants this time. No one's going to buy it. And I do go into all of those behaviors. Maybe I can put it off a week. Do you think anyone will notice? Or maybe I'll just have a nap or maybe I'll have a drink. And it's horrendously (laughs) uncomfortable. And the only reason really that I do push through it is because I know there are people probably waiting and it will look awful if I don't. And then it always sells out. And 
you think I would learn the lesson from that. You would think, I think people think once you get to a certain level in your business, in your career or in your kind of online status or whatever else, that those feelings go away. And certainly in my case, they really haven't. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the the romantic fallacy, right? That there's some magical land <laughs> that you can live in where this stuff doesn't come up for you anymore, right? That if you only have built your business to this level, it's not going to come up for you anymore. And and I, I would encourage other people and, and would just say, like, I have really intentionally and consciously built a community around me in terms of like who I talk to about things where it's like nobody is doing that kind of projecting in my inner inner circle. Right. Because it's just too hard. Otherwise, I remember one year I had been voted by the participants of this in-person conference. I, you know, everybody was able to submit like a little, a little thing to, to, do like a breakout session at this conference and and who was chosen for the breakout sessions was voted on by the attendees of the conference. And I was voted in and I was super excited and I was also having some fear. And I tried talking about it to a colleague of mine and her response was, well, speaking as someone who uh, wasn't picked You know, like it was just this thing of like, I can't believe that you're even, you know, having that kind of a feeling of fear or anxiety or doubt or, you know, whatever I was trying to talk to her about at the time, given that you're talking to somebody who wasn't, you know, picked for this. And I hadn't even thought of that. And it, it, you know, it didn't feel like a very empathetic response. And well, because it wasn't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, but that's the thing. That's the fallacy. You know, people think, oh, if we just get over here, it's not going to happen anymore. And I mean, you know, don't you even find that you get caught in that even as like a business owner? Like, you know, I've totally thought if I made this amount of money in my business, I wouldn't worry about money anymore. Mm -hmm. Or if I had this amount of, I mean, I thought getting a book deal (laughs) that I would just like, you know, not worry or this, that, or the other. And then it turns out that, you know, that there's this whole ladder to climb if you want to go down that route with books. You know, I'm a first time author. I am at the bottom of the totem pole. My publisher is not throwing thousands of dollars behind me for publicity and everything else. I'm not Stephen King. You know, (laughs) my lawyer actually said to me when I was going over the book contract, he was like, well, Stephen King wouldn't sign this, but you're not Stephen (laughs) King. (laughs) It's just like, you know, it can be really parasitic to get to go down that road. And, and it's like, yeah, you know, so what are you going to do? And, and what you're going to do is you're going to be human. You know, what is there to do but be human and go, I'm afraid. And that thing you talk about where it's kind of leaning on your community is that is the thing that always gets me back. It's going back out there and talking to people and saying like, oh, I'm, you know, maybe I'll tweet and say the course is going out tomorrow and I'm, I'm scared and everyone will then remind me that that is normal and that I don't need to be afraid and that even if it didn't sell I mean maybe one day that will come and it doesn't sell but that is not the end of the world. I was talking with I I use Boxer to stay in touch with people and it's like a walkie-talkie messaging app. Yeah like audio messaging. Yeah yeah I mean you can do text but you know the audio is great and I was talking with some people about this very topic this week about you know transitions and the attitude that I try to adopt now 
around all of life's unexpected difficulties as well as expected because I have the same stuff come up as you do. Every year when I open up the registration for my life coach training program, I'm you know, like my my operations manager now keeps regular stats on like how many people have enrolled in years past and will like show them to me and go, actually, Kate, like more people are interested this year than any year prior. And that's always been <laughs> the trajectory. So she'll like talk me off the ledge with that. But I was just talking this morning with uh, or this week with some people about this topic of like these feelings that come up and, and reaching out. And I was going... I really try to to go, what if this is my warrior training? Like, And that sounds kind of cheesy, but I am a life coach, so I'm, <laughs> I'm into the cheese. So, okay. But here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is, like, what if whenever, and I'm speaking to, like, anybody who's listening to this, what if what you feel the next time you're trying to launch your thing, what if you go, what if this is my warrior training? What if this is like making it into a game? How big can I really lean into this? How big can I love? How, how, what am I really made of? You know? And if I go, okay, no matter how this launch turns out, it's about how I leaned into it Mm -hmm. and how I treated it like my warrior training. Then I get something out of it regardless of what the actual enrollment numbers come down to. Yes. And then because it is, it's, it is practice for the next scary thing. It is training mm-hmm. for the next scary thing in life that maybe will be less safe or maybe will need us to push through the fear even more, I guess. Well, especially if you adopt the attitude that like, no, there is no getting out of this fear thing. You know, like I I used to, you know, have a salary job. And for years, I stayed in that salary job while I was building my business, which I think is a, a very great thing to do. I often use the metaphor talking to people about business of, you know, if you want a plane to take flight, you have to build yourself enough of a runway. That's Mm. like the physics of the situation. You have to have enough velocity combined with enough of a runway in order for the air to catch under your wings. And that's as true in flight as it is in business. So, okay, you know, I'm, I'm in this job. I, you know, I used to be in this job. I would, I would deal with some pretty, you know, negative people. And I would talk to people pretty regularly who, who were like, well, I, you know, I got to stay in this job because it's what's safe, mm-hmm. you know, and I need the money. Well, about a year after I ended up leaving this, this place that I'd worked for, I mean, they almost went bankrupt. And a bunch of people who like thought they were going to have guaranteed jobs, you know, they didn't have that anymore. And I think, you know, for anybody who's kind of sitting on the sidelines going, well, you know, what's the point of trying to work on my creative business or my business in general, you know, like it, it, I need to be realistic. I kind of go, well, yeah, you know, you need to pay your bills and your mortgage and, and all those things in the interim while you're building that runway. But what if your new realistic became that you could take flight? You know, what about that? I mean, what about building yourself, you know, plan B aside from the salary job? And what about living your life in service to what makes you feel alive? What about that? (laughs) It's so true that safety is an illusion, kind of as much as, as fear is an illusion. They both suggest things to us that don't entirely exist. So like you say, you can think you have a secure day job and it can be 
whipped out from underneath you. So kind of when, when you realise that there's no certainties and there's no concrete realities, it becomes a lot easier to assess it all impartially. Yeah, I mean, there's objective risk in trying to start a creative business. But I think something that people forget all too often is you, you don't have to do it full time straight out the gate. That's not the measure of success. The measure of success is are you refining your craft? Are you learning about who you are? Are you are you coming alive from your work, right? Like, and I don't know of any way to kill enjoyment in a line of work that you enjoy that's that's more effective than trying to put a ton of pressure on yourself mm, to meet yes. a certain financial metric. I mean, kills creativity. Oh, yeah. Kills oh, yeah. And you know, when I'm talking with people who are new and emerging life coaches coming out of my program, it's like you know, you have to love the craft of this. This is your art for all intents and purposes. You And, and like, if you're not letting that lead the way, you're not trying to leave one soul-sucking job only to then, like, make this your next one. You know, this is, it's supposed to be different. And I think that we do well for ourselves when we give ourselves enough grace to go, you know what, I, I have the time to make this doing what I love thing something that I truly infuse with love. And I, I just think there's way too much pressure on people to try to meet some kind of external metric or this idea that if you're full-time with your business, you're somehow happier. It's like, well, you know, yes and no. There are new things that come up and, you know, there are benefits to having that comfort zone of a salaried position behind you. I, I don't yeah. think we should knock it. No, there really is no black and white. And for some people, the perfect balance is a bit of both. And for some people, it's looking after their family and having, you know, the part-time business. And for some people, it's working, you know, 19-hour days. It's, there's, there's no rule book, is there? Mm-hmm. There's no rule book, except the one thing I will say that I think is universally true for all human beings is that to any degree that you are incorporating more of what you love into your life, the happier you are. So you might not be happy if you like ditch your full-time job to go do a creative business, but but I definitely think people are happy if they find some way to incorporate what they love into their lives, even if it's not their full-time gig. So I was really interested in what you were talking about earlier. I love that kind of, a little bit like me, you are into some of the neuroscience of it all, kind of the mm -hmm. psychology of it all. It's fact-based as well as kind of gut-based. It feels true, but it also is proven to be true. And the whole idea of kind of, uh, how we can form a new habit for ourselves. And one thing that was really resonating with me, it was interesting when you were talking about that kind of reward cycle that we build for ourselves. Because way back in my paid day job, before I did what I do now, I worked with children in special needs and we would look at challenging behavior. So that would be, you know, maybe when an individual would be getting violent or doing something that was quite disruptive and we would have to look at that cycle and see what the reward that they were getting out of mm -hmm. that difficult behavior cycle was for them and sometimes the reward was something you didn't expect like they got taken out of the room and that, mm -hmm. that made them feel better because the room was stressing them out but actually it's exactly the same thing that you're talking about I think that kind of we get into these loops that reinforce negative behavior or unhelpful behavior that we don't necessarily want to be doing would that be true yes yes because it's comfortable and we know what to expect right so we can turn those loops around presumably is that how the whole habit forming kind of neuroscience works yes and it's you know for sure it's it's about rewiring your expectation of what's going to feel good so you know that switching the thumbs that we did you mm. know it's about 
it's about going, oh, okay, like I've switched my thumbs and it feels really different, but like I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And that rewiring that takes place, you know, there's actually a part of the brain called the basal ganglia that I like to think of as kind of like the project manager of the brain. Hmm. It's taking in sensory input, you know, things that you've seen, things that you're experiencing, and it's going it's kind of like a delegator. It's going, okay, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And, you know, when we think about like how fear traditionally can show up for people, you know, like, like that example um, you touched on earlier, you were talking about some of the things that you do and, and there've definitely been things I've done too, like grabbing a couple glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. That's like a perfect example. Your basal ganglia really likes knowing what to expect because if information comes in and you respond differently to it, then the basal ganglia is kind of uncomfortable, like that switching of thumbs. I don't know what to expect. Hold on. I got to make meaning out of this. It's not comfortable. If we feel those fear cues and then we respond by like checking out and having a couple glasses of wine and we do that often enough, we get the reward of relaxing, but we also start to wire other parts of the brain like opiate receptors or you know, the biochemistry of our entire system to expect a certain thing. And, you know, like checking out with Netflix, for instance, Mm -hmm. if that habit of every night you get home, you have your dinner, you get the kids to bed, and then you're like, oh, Netflix, cool, I know what to expect, then your system is going to go, cool, like, got it. Basal ganglia is like, understand we we know what's happening here but if you go you know what i actually think would be a better use of my time right now would be to listen to a podcast that is going to give me some information i need or i'm going to go work on that painting or i'm going to go follow up with that person your basal ganglia is going if i may anthropomorphize the (laughs) the basal ganglia is going like what are you doing hold on a second oh this is too much work this is like just not at all let's go let's go like chill out with some Netflix. We really don't want to come on. You don't want to get the brushes out now. And then you'd have to like clean them before bed. You know, and it takes a certain amount of really going, got it, basal ganglia, got it, internalized critic, you know, whatever you want to call it. Got it. I feel this. It's uncomfortable. I'm immediately, you know, coming up with this story, this internalized story that that the Netflix routine would be far more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reframe that limiting story and go, actually, you know what? It might be more comfortable in the short term, but in the long term, I know for a fact that this is not how I want to go. And I'm going to go work on my my art instead. And, you know, if you really want to solidify the habit, tell someone else in your life what you're going through and ask for their support. But like I said, you can do any of those. And the more you're doing those behaviors, the more you start to train the brain to go, okay, like we don't need to have a stress response about this. It's it's anticipated. And I I will give another example that's kind of related to this in part because you're you're also a parent and in part because I love telling parents about this. Hmm. So, and it's, it's related. Okay. Kids trying to get them to go to bed, right? Mega stress for the kids. (laughs) You know, they start protesting. Well, when I started to learn more about habit formation, I was like, okay, here's the deal. Habit formation. The habit is brush teeth, read a bedtime story, walk straight into your room 
and you get audios. You get to listen to these like Disney princess stories that I got off of iTunes. So at this point, because that is the habit, we do not deviate from it. We do not pass go. We do not do one extra sippy cup of water. We do not do, you know, an extra 10 minutes of hugs in her room before we turn on the audios. It is like brush your teeth, bedtime story, walk into your room, Disney audios. <laughs> and yeah, the first couple nights there was like, you know, the usual problem. But now my three and a half year old after bedtime stories gets up and starts walking into her room and will call whichever parent. If I was the one who read the stories, daddy, I'm ready for my hug. If my husband was the one who read the stories, mom, I'm ready for my hug. It's like, it's just like, this is the power of habit formation. So the reason I bring this story up, in addition to the idea that maybe I'll help some other parent out there, (laughs) bedtime is a nightmare is this if we can jerry rig habit formation to get a three and a half year old to walk her (laughs) own ass into bed every night (laughs) without like a volcanic expression of of total meltdown then we can do it ourselves people we could do it ourselves with our creative ambitions we could do it ourselves with whatever our big dreams are so i hope that that was an apt it's amazing is is it too late for me to do this with my five-year-old no it means it's gonna she can be my experiment (laughs) it's gonna suck at first because you're you're you know asking her to switch her thumbs so to speak you're asking her basal ganglia to anticipate something different but yeah, no, it's it's absolutely doable. I mean, all kids are different. And for sure, they're, you know, like, yeah, I'm not saying course, yeah. my child is a golden child, all the things I don't want to get, you know, get the mom police on me. But, uh, yeah. uh, you know, habit formation has absolutely changed so many things. And we use it like for transitions to get her out the door now on time. And oh, my gosh, that is the other battle. It's like, please just put your shoes on, please. Yep, yep. What we did with that is like there's a timer on the stove and it's like when that timer goes off, no, you don't get the extra minute. Your job is to go put your shoes on and stand by the door. Like that is your job when the timer goes off. And in again, I mean, there's a certain level of like what's the reward? Well, at, at bedtime, it's the Disney Princess Audios. And in the car, it can be like a special book. You know, so we try to build in those rewards or those things to anticipate. But habit formation is powerful if if you can get a if you can get a three-year-old to to react better to life based on habit formation I'd like to think that all of us who are decades older can can use it to the same effect and it's a good analogy because it's kind of like we need to be the slightly mean parent to ourselves I'm not calling you a mean parent but you know but it feels mean sometimes in the moment doesn't it when you're like no I have to stick to this Mm mm-hmm and we have to be maybe that little bit stricter with ourselves to get it started too by the sounds of it but then it becomes easier yeah it's it's like at first it is it is about really staying with the fact that you want something else for your longer term goals and there are all these avenues i can relate this to i mean i'm a triathlete and you know resistance around workouts is a big thing and staying consistent around that and it's like just getting myself into this mode where it's like no like this is what I do on Monday this is what I do on Tuesday this is what you know like and what are the cues that might perpetuate not wanting to be consistent i mean looking at things like what what sets off a cue i think can be really helpful so hungry angry lonely tired mm-hmm. you know if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, 
and and this isn't just me, this is anyone, you're going to be so much more resistant to going after a dream, you know, or, or following through on a plan. So true. Yeah. So it's like when you start to sink into the Netflix haze at the end of the night, it's, it's a, again, it's about consciousness and going, what's really going on for me right now? Like, what is it that has me feel like the only thing I have energy for at the end of the night is the Netflix haze? And you then changing, that. presumably, if you need to, changing something about your life to yeah. really improve that. Yeah. What if actually what I'm really sad about right now is the state of my marriage? Or what if actually what, what's really going on for me right now is the, the political situation in the world and it's just depressing day in and day out? What if what's really going on for me right now is just a really intense grief that I've never processed? Um, I've met, by the way, a lot of creatives who... Like, you know, the reason they stopped creating is because of like an old unprocessed grief where, you know, a teacher or someone told them that, that their art sucked or that there was mm. no point. Yes. You know, I think, I think it's really powerful to look at our motivations and why we do what we do. I was literally writing about this today. It's so funny that you say this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just the same, that really resistance is always there to tell us something. And we have to look at why and, and see what we can unpick about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what do you want to do? You want to be subservient to the resistance your whole life? Or do yeah. you want to, you know what, this is my warrior training. And, you know, if you're training for something, it, you're not going to do it perfectly every single time. You know, when, I, when I'm training to be in a triathlon, like not every single workout goes really, really well. And the same thing's true if you're building a business and the same thing's true if you're trying to reroute your three and a half year old's habit formation, (laughs) you know, it's not going to be perfect every single time. And the, the willingness to look at the bigger picture as well as the moment to moment, you know, really getting present about like what's happening here where do I get afraid where do I get stuck what's this about it reaps a ton of rewards I suppose on a really basic level as well like that instinct to listen to the immediate wants of our bodies or our minds over the long-term wants of our bodies and minds came from a really essential place when we were kind of a real primitive species who needed to be like no I'm tired that's more important than the fact that I want to build something up sticks or whatever it was Mm -hmm. we did back then but now we've evolved to a time and a place where actually that forward planning sometimes it does need to take precedence over those more immediate wants and it's just kind of about like you say like hacking uh hacking our neurology to make it work yeah I mean that's the thing I love about this is this idea that like courage doesn't have to be this thing that you are desperately striving to to be courageous, right? Like you can actually cultivate emotional resilience. And the more that you're doing it on a little level, the more equipped you are to do it on a bigger level. I would be willing to bet money that for you, you know, you, you relayed this beautiful anecdote earlier of like the fear that comes up for you when you're launching a course. Well, I would be willing to bet that there were like a lot of other little things like hitting publish on a blog post for the mm. first time or the very first podcast that you ever produced. Yes. All the, these little, you know, working with your fear and deciding to, you know, go ahead and hit publish anyway and and all of that, like that prepared you for the day that you you launched your first course, ran your first course, got feedback from someone on your course, you know, that's really tough. And the more that you treat it like, okay, 
this is what I'm trying to cultivate in my life. I'm cultivating a resilient and more courageous life, even if it always isn't always a perfect upward trajectory. Um, the more that we're doing it in little ways, the more we get prepared for these big ways that we are called to practice courage in our lives. That's exciting. Tell me about the things that you've got uh, going on or coming up that are taking a lot of courage for you. Well, the book. The book. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, I mean, the book and I am doing a a book tour. So I'm going to be going out in person and I have author friends who are like, yeah, some book tour stops. You go and there's like 25 people and it's awesome. And then others you show up and you're like, I there's nobody. I am feeling kind of lame and everybody who works for this bookstore is looking at me like I'm a poor, sad author. I couldn't get anyone to come to the event, you know, so that's like super scary. I have the same thing every year with launching the Courageous Living Coach Certification, my, my coach training. We do it by application only. Not every application that comes through is really a fit. And, you know, like it's, it's not, um, it's not a comfortable feeling to, to be like, okay, I need to say no to this application because mm. I can tell there's some th- things that aren't, you know, a fit. But, you know, I'm also then saying no to like my financial bottom line on some yeah. level when I do that. That's a hard thing to do. But I think it's what I need to do to be in integrity with creating the best possible program. And I would say, too, that the next fear that's coming up, and I don't think I've said this on any podcast yet so it's interesting it's the what next what's next fear oh I've got a book out I've got all these different like the book was the dream since I was a little girl like if you had asked me when I was a little girl when I wanted to do when I grew up it was going to be I'm going to write books that's what I would have told you so for so long, you know, the book proposal being rejected and then I double down and I try to work on it more and I you know you know, practice the courage to send it out again. And then it finally got accepted. But that was like all two years ago, you know, when I signed the deal. So it's then it's kind of going, well, what's on like, what's the big dream? Because for so long, this felt like it was it. What do I do now? Yeah, this is where the movie would end with a happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. exactly. And now it's like, okay, what is next? And The thing that I think is really great about doing our work with fear is that that question is both fear inducing, but it's also exciting. It's, okay, what's next here? I don't actually know a concrete idea. You know, I have some ideas, but I don't know for sure. Because fear and excitement are not that far apart from each other, really. They tend to show up at the same times, I find. Yeah. And physiologically, they're exactly the same. Like if you're hooked up to equipment that'll test your heart rate and how much you're perspiring and all that stuff, as if you don't open your mouth, if the, you know, the tester says to you, because they've done this research, uh, if they say to you, think of something exciting, think of something that scares you, like your heart rate will go up, you'll perspire Mm. a little bit more, certain MRI images will appear on the brain uh, of your brain. But like, you really can't tell the difference, (laughs) you know, unless you open your mouth and you're saying, well, I was thinking of what's next on my journey and how open and curious I am. Or I was thinking, I worked really hard for this thing and now it's here and I have no idea what comes. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's Tara Moore, she says in her book, she may be quoting somebody when she says it, but that fear is uh, excitement without the breath. 
and it's about remembering to breathe through it yes it's gestalt therapy and yeah and I I believe also Gail Larson who does speaking she likes to say that too yeah and I use that with my daughter and whenever she's scared about a change in her class at school that recently there was a load of new kids that joined and Mm. I was saying just it's, it's just excitement but it feels different. We just need to breathe and think about how it's exciting and try and teach her what I don't necessarily teach myself. Well, you know, I mean, you're teaching her, you're teaching yourself as you teach her, I like to think. So that is very true. That is so true. Well, where can people come if what you've said has resonated with them and they'd like to take this a bit further with you? Well, you can go to yourcourageouslife.com. And if you go to couragehabit.com, then you will hop over to uh, all the information about the book and and see where some events are happening. And then my life coach training program is at tribeclcc.com. So lots of places. I'm Kate Courageous on most social media. Yeah, you're on Instagram, aren't you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we can carry on this conversation there if people want to come and, and talk to you about their courage and their fear, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love that. Thank you. As we both just mentioned, Kate and I would really genuinely love to hear from you online to keep this conversation going. If you drop us a DM or a comment over on Instagram, one of us will pick it up and get back to you. Finally, a quick reminder, my spring slash summer Instagram class, Bloom and Grow, is currently on special offer with a package of gorgeous Instagrammable goodies. It's at meandola.co.uk forward slash bloom dash grow and you can grab those freebies with the course if you check out any time during April 2018. In that class, we really dig into the psychology of what makes a great image and how we can make our audience feel happy and inspired and uplifted with the content we share, and then how to turn all of that into our best engagement and our best community ever. That link again is meanola.co.uk forward slash bloom dash grow. And I will also put a link directly to that in this week's show notes, which are at meanola.co.uk forward slash podcast 43. Alternatively, you can just hit my website, which is meanamola.co.uk and follow the navigation, which is probably what I would do because I have no memory for links. Hope you're having a great week and I will see you on social.